Welcome to Empowering Women in Educational Leadership. Over the next hour, we are going to celebrate women across all venues of education and hear stories from trailblazing educators of challenge and success, highlighting that leadership is not always about a title. Now here's your host, Dr. Stephanie Duguid. Good morning and welcome, everyone. I am so glad you could join us on Empowering Women in Educational Leadership. I'm your host, Dr. Stephanie Duguid. It is a pleasure to have you here with us today. For those of you that listening that do not know me or those that are new to the show, I always share a few details about the backstory of the Empowering Women in Educational Leadership show with you. As a lifetime educator myself and with a mother who was a very strong teacher in a Texas high school for over 40 years, I felt it was a natural transition to highlight strong women in educational leadership. So many times, women assume they have to have a title to be a leader, which is not true at all. Women inspire, guide, support, and empower each other. Those women are the transformational leaders that focus on elevating one another through mentorship, whether intentional or not. I wanted to highlight the great things and people supporting women in educational leadership. I personally have been in education for over 30 years at the K-12 and higher ed level as a teacher, athletic trainer, and administrator. I am now the owner of Do Good Leadership, where I'm a professional speaker, leadership and success coach and mentor, author, consultant, and of course, radio host. My focus has shifted from working within an institution to a new focus outward where I can serve, elevate, and inspire women to be amazing leaders in education at all levels. This show is the opportunity to bridge the connection between where a woman in education is and where she wants to be after developing leadership skills and confidence to become that empowering, transformational leader. The key is to find a strong mentor to guide you along the way. My mother was my mentor until she died in a car accident when I was 27. I have made it my life's purpose to develop, serve, support, and empower women in educational leadership through mentorship. Today is the ninth episode of Empowering Women in Educational Leadership, and I'm honored to have this opportunity to highlight some amazing things women are doing in education. Our fantastic guest today is Nora Miller from Mississippi University for Women. Nora is the 15th president of Mississippi University for Women, respectively known as the W. Miller is a certified public accountant and holds a bachelor's degree in business administration and accounting from the W and an MBA from Mississippi State University. She's in her sixth year as president and was the chief financial officer for the W from 2001 to 2018. She's also served as the director of budget and finance analysis, the director of internal audit for the Mississippi Institute of Higher Learning, director of accounting for Central Alabama Community College, She was a senior auditing accountant for Potter, Bryant, and Tate in Birmingham, Alabama, and was a supervising senior auditing accountant for the Colleges and Universities Division of the Mississippi State Auditor's Office. She serves on the board of the University Press of Mississippi, is the past chair of the board, and has served as the board of the directors of the Southern Association of Colleges and Universities Business Officers. She's an active in several organizations, including the Mississippi chapter of the International Women's Forum, Columbus Air Force Base Community Council, and the Rotary Club of Columbus. She was honored to serve as an honorary commander of the CAFB Medical Support Group, which I think is just awesome. So welcome so much to the show, Nora. How are you today? Thank you, Stephanie. I'm doing just great and really happy to be on here with you. Well, thank you. So today we're going to talk about a few things. You know, there's some big changes coming up at the W that we want to highlight and all the great things that are going on there and and some interesting facts that you've shared with me in our previous conversations, along with a lot of things about teamwork. 
So first, if you will, just go ahead and share kind of your personal journey of getting to where you are. I mean, I shared some of the offices and committees you've been on, but how did you become the president of Mississippi University for Women? How did you get there? It's so awesome. I was just in the right place at the right time. <laughs> um, you know, when I graduated from here at the W, it was the saddest day of my life because I thought I'd have to leave. And I really, I would have loved to have just stayed a student all my life. Um, yep. But couldn't afford to do that. So um, <laughs> so I've done the next best thing. I um, When I went to work for the state auditor's office, um, we audited. I was in charge of the audits of all the colleges, state colleges and universities north of Jackson. So I got to be on a lot of different campuses and was in that environment and uh, enjoyed being in higher ed, being around young people. Um, then I took a, a little bit of a diversion working for a CPA firm and realized I really wanted to be back in higher ed. Um, so then I was at a community college and it's kind of funny. I tell people I really got to where I am by not getting other positions. You know, I was at Central Alabama Community College and a position opened here at the W for the, the controller and I interviewed for it and I didn't get it. Mm -hmm. But the next day, Somebody called me from IHL and said, I hear you're in the market. And look, we've got an opening for director of internal audit. Would you come here? So I went there. <laughs> and, well, then, and that's so true, though. Uh, and I don't want to interrupt you, but I mean, that is so true. When one door closes, another one opens and you just have to believe that something better is there. So go ahead. That's right. It's amazing. So that's what I tell people. You know, I've, I've not gotten a, several. And it was kind of funny because it the, the person who got the job here at the W that I'd applied for, well, I ended up getting his, it was his job that I got at IHL. And when we were in the state auditor's office, I had applied for a job, gave him as a reference. He ended up getting the job instead. And then I, you know, I just kind of followed him around. So it really is in the right place at the right time. Um, so I was at IHL and loving it. And I had just uh, recently remarried. and. Uh, I was approached about a job at another university and I went home and told my husband, you know, I've been, you know, kind of nominated for this and wonder if you, you know, how you would feel about moving there. And it was in the same town as his, where his ex-wife was from. <laughs> and he said, I spent a year there one weekend. No. <laughs> and he said, but I know, I know you'd yep. rather be on a campus. And if this were like the W, no question, we'd move there. Next right. week, I get a call from the W. And I'm like, wow. oh, Bill, you remember when you said if it was the W, you'd be willing to move? That's right. <laughs> so so that happened. And um, I've loved being here. I loved um, working as CFO. I worked with um, a couple of different presidents and interim presidents and really enjoyed um, just being involved on campus and being in a small campus like this, mm -hmm. you get to know everybody and you have to wear a lot of hats. So you get to know about things that are outside of your area of expertise um, by right. serving on different committees, just by being um, nobody else there to do it. So you just kind of jump in and do it. That's right. So you talk about the W. And so some of our listeners may not know the size of the W or the location of the W. Can you share a couple of those facts and stats? Yes, the W, we are about 2,500 students enrollment. We are in Columbus, Mississippi. We have uh, around 400 employees. Uh, we are on 110 acres, uh, beautiful campus. 
we are the we were the first state supported college for women in the United States. So we are all about empowering women and we have been ever since 1884. We were founded as the Industrial Institute and College and offered both academic and vocational degrees. Um, in the 1880s, there are a lot of women who didn't have fam family support, didn't have husbands. And so this was a way for them to learn leadership and to learn skilled trades also. In I 1920, we, be, we focused more on the academics and we became Mississippi State College for Women. Um, then we were promoted to a university status in 1974. All the state public regional colleges became universities. So we were Mississippi University for Women. Mm -hmm. uh, in 1982, there's a case that went to the U.S. Supreme Court uh, and said that we had to enroll men. So we have been co-educational for 41 years. We have about a 20% male enrollment. If you were here on campus, you would think it was much higher because our our largest program is our RN to BSN program, and that is an online program. So the campus presence, it feels more like 40% male. Right. So the name has been an issue for us. Um, <laughs> it doesn't describe who we are, and our elevator speech is about what we're not. You know, when I go gotcha. to a conference and I'll have Mississippi University for Women under my name, I'll say, oh, you're at an all-girls school. No. Oh, you must be a private school. No. <laughs> then it's like, well, how long have you been co-ed? And have you thought about a name change? <laughs> mm -hmm. And so that's what we are all about doing right now. So that brings us to our first big discussion is the W may be going under a name change, but you know, there's a lot of processes and a lot of steps. So share with us, you just shared the history of it, which I love the history of educational institutions. And so as a university, you know, being known as the W Mississippi University for Women, what has really shifted to needing the name change? How has the community received it? What is the feedback that you've had? And what does the future look like? Well, this is not the first time this has come up. It, it's come up, kind of bubbled up a few times over the years. There was a big push for it in, I guess that was around 2008 or 2009. Um, it went to the state legislature, but we did not get a hearing. It did not pass. We had some fractured relationships with our alumni um, the name that was chosen at that time was a name that was unfamiliar to people. People did, it was Sally Renault, the woman who was behind writing the legislation that created our institution. The name that we brought forward then was Renault University, R-E-N-E-A-U. Some people mm -hmm. didn't know how to pronounce it. They thought it was a car, you know, um, there was just a lot going on. And it, it we did not get the support from our student body or our alumni that we should have, and it failed miserably. So we took a step back, and that's where we really started pushing the W rather than MUW or Mississippi University for Women. And so we've, we've, we've done that now for 14 years 
I guess, 13 or 14 years. But people still ask, what's the W stand for? And we'll go to a college fair. We'll have things up, you know, with our name and people just walk on by. Um, guys don't want to come to the table because they're going to get ribbed and teased by their their friends. And women don't, you know, most high school women do not want to attend a single sex school. Um, fewer than 3% of graduating high school women want single sex university. And the 3% who want it wouldn't be happy if they came here because That's we're not. <laughs> That's <laughs> so right. It's just very confusing. So we started taking another look at this when um, looking at the demographics, there are fewer fewer children were born 18 to 24 years ago, and we're going to see a dwindling pipeline of those traditional age students. We have people coming back for a second education, a, a career switch, um, but we know that, that that bread and butter, the the high school seniors, there's fewer of them and there's greater competition for them. Mm-hmm. So um, in May of 2022, um, I got a letter from signed by all of our deans here on campus saying that they felt that we needed to have a more inclusive name. Okay, so it was brought up from the it faculty was staff. And I had, right, it was. And I had told people all along, I I will carry the load, but somebody's got to be there with me. <laughs> I right. Do this alone, but I will I will take this charge and I will carry it, but it's got to come up organically. I can't well, force the issue. Well, and I bet that, and we'll continue talking about this, but I bet that has made a huge difference. It's not a top-down mandate. It is coming from within the institution so that those that are interacting with the students and interacting with everyone around and really understand the culture are the ones that are asking for this. Because you you mentioned, you know, it's not just the institution itself that has to make this decision. You all have to get voted, right? I mean, it has to go to legislation. It, It will go to the state legislature. Wow. And so once you had this letter from your faculty or from your deans, what happened next? Well, couldn't really do a whole lot over the summer because most of our faculty are nine months. And so you just kind of do your your homework. Um, I reached out to, um, we are a member of the ASCU, which is American Association of State Colleges and Universities. And that is the group where I get most of my professional development um, through their conferences and and events. And um, I reached out to some people there at ASCU and told them that we were looking at a name change and wanted some advice. And so they gave me the names of a couple of presidents who had gone through name changes. And I talked with them, talked about what they learned, how they did it. Um, and really got uh, involved with um, Utah Tech University, has only had that name now for two years, I think. They were Dixie State University in Utah. Okay. <laughs> yes. Well, that makes sense for a name change. <laughs> it, it certainly does, because they said, you know, some of their graduates were not getting job interviews because... It just in this day and age that it just looked like there were going to be some issues there. Right. So they had gone through a name change and they also had to go through, I think the legislature just had to approve their process, but it was a it was a contentious one. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
the town that they are in, uh, there's Dixie everything. It's right. And so people were attached to that name. And so anyway, we had their um, vice president for marketing and enrollment management who had overseen that name process. He came and met with us, talked through, you know, what they had done. Um, they had done surveys. Uh, they had a company that had done the surveys for them. And so we went with that firm to put out some surveys to faculty, staff, students, prospective students, alumni. Um, the problem was that firm didn't really get us. They didn't know who we were. It was an inexpensive attempt at getting this because the work had already been done. Um, but right. we got what we paid for. We didn't get a lot of response um, from, especially from prospective students and our alumni were very um, adamant about, uh, there were some who said, yes, we need a name change. They didn't like any of the, the directions we were going. Um, typically the choices for naming a university are either uh, a geographic mm -hmm. or compass point or um, named after a famous person or somebody affiliated with the university. Right. So our alumni were pretty much against anything geographic. Um, they thought they didn't really capture the uniqueness of the W and right. sounded more like it was a larger institution. Um, didn't sound like it didn't evoke the, the feel of this campus. Right. But then when you start looking at people's names, other institutions are taking names off of buildings and off of things. True. And in Mississippi, if you go back a couple of generations, you're apt to get to slaveholding somewhere and don't it want to It can be do a that. challenge. It can be a real challenge. And then you think going forward, who knows what the descendants of anybody else might be. So that's right. So there are some huge challenges whenever you're talking about this process of name changes. We are going to continue this conversation when we come back. But right now we need to take a two minute break. We'll be right back. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Meet Dr. Stephanie Duguid, the renowned motivational speaker, leadership and success coach, author, and radio show host with an impressive 30 years of experience in education, spanning K-12 and higher education as a teacher, athletic trainer, and administrator. With her dynamic presence and inspiring messages, Dr. Stephanie captivates audiences from classrooms to conference halls. Learn how to focus on developing positive leadership skills and confidence to become the transformative and inspirational leader you always wanted to be from any position you hold. Reach out to Dr. Stephanie today. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. 
When there is a war on talent, you have to go to combat. What is career combat? It's a show that airs at 7 a.m. Pacific time on Fridays on the Voice America Empowerment Channel that acts as your destination for real career talk and real career advice. Hear from the best and brightest in the biz as your host, Kelly Combat, gives you the answers you need. Career Combat, Fridays at 7 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Empowerment. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Welcome back to Empowering Women in Educational Leadership. Have a question for Dr. Stephanie or her guests? Join us on the show at 888-346-9141. That's 888-346-9141. Now back to the show. Welcome back. We are here talking with Nora Miller, president of Mississippi University for Women for Now. And so we are looking at the process going through of what do we do if we want a name change? And so you've mentioned that it was something that came from deans. It's something that has been brought to the forefront in the past, but did not succeed. You're sharing that sometimes the local population is so connected to the name that sometimes you have some animosity, but people are starting to understand why this change is needed. And so tell us about the different options. You talked about geographic names, um, famous people names, and why that might not be the best opportunity. So where are you now in this process? Well, there's also uh, mission-related. And so, um, and that can be, can be kind of broad. You've got your Texas A&M, you've got all the, all the A&Ms and the School for the Arts and, and whatever. So we are um, looking at some way to um, honor our history and our mission. And um, as we went through the process in 2022, well, let's see, it was 20, yeah, 2022. And we had hoped to have a name brought forward in the last legislative session. But as we got to December of 2022, we realized we didn't have a good name. We didn't have a full package. We didn't have the branding, the logo, the the story behind it. And also felt that we needed more time to educate people about why we were doing this, that this is not a knee-jerk reaction. And it's not an effort to get more men. It's an effort to get more students just to get in the door to have people go beyond the name and find out who we are, what we do, how affordable we are, and what we offer. So we started, kind of stepped back and started talking more about the challenges in higher ed um, and why this is so important. Um, State support has been great the last couple of years, but we're still at the inverse of where our level of support was 10 years ago, 20 years ago, and we're not going back to that. We've got to be more dependent on our enrollment and our tuition. So we need to broaden the net, widen the net. Um, So we did did another uh, focus groups. We hired a firm that uh, does marketing and research and has experience with several um, universities. And their CEO uh, grew up here in Columbus, and he has six or seven family members who graduated from here. So he gets 
who we are and understands mm -hmm. um, the strong attachment that our alumni have and has been great at telling our story and helping us draw that out from people. We've had focus groups with alumni, with students, faculty, staff, with people from the community, um, with prospective students. And so they gathered a lot of information and really got at what our brand is. And we are working on that rebranding because the name is really just the cherry on top. The brand right. is who we are, what we're about. That's what tells our story. So we have gone through this long process. Um, I had a, a task force that included um, all of our deans, our admissions folks. Uh, it included our president of the Alumni Association, uh, chair of the foundation, student government president. Uh, so we, we had a, a broad, very inclusive group that worked really hard through all of this. Um, we had... I had a separate email address set up for this, and I got hundreds of emails <laughs> and lots of suggestions. Um, and uh, as we've gone through the process, I'm really pleased that some people who were dead set against this have come to me and said, I don't like it, but I understand. Right. And that's what we need to do. People who are attached to this university and involved with the university realize that we need to be the best we can be. And in order to do that, we need to, as I said, widen that net for enrollment. And and we're not just doing the name change. We've also changed some of our recruiting policies. We're doing some other things differently too, but this is the time for us to come together and just blow it out. Um, well, so and it sounds like that that by sharing the why, I mean, this is all about communication and leadership, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, right. it's all about making sure that it's not this top down, it's not this knee jerk reaction, that you are getting information from all your constituents and everybody in the community that is local and abroad. And mm -hmm. you're really, you're listening to them. You had that email, you've got these focus groups, you have all these other pieces. This is a huge lesson in communication in higher ed. Because even though people don't necessarily like it, by sharing the why and understanding the purpose, and it's for the betterment of the institution, they're going to get on board with you. And so I think that it was done the right way. Well, I think it's it's been important that, you know, when people have disagreed with me, you know, I said, you know, the thing is, this is great because we both love this institution and we're passionate about it. And we can disagree and still love this institution and still love each other. Um, right. But it, at some point, um, as the as the president and CEO, I've got to do what's best for this university going forward. I've got to leave it stronger than when I came into the presidency. And right. this is what it looks like we need to be doing. Mm -hmm. uh, so we're we're chipping away at it, and we're expecting um, to have legislation introduced in January, and it will be an exciting time for us. Well, I am so excited about this opportunity. As you said, it's it's a long time coming, and it's it's about the institution. It's about the people that attend the institution and, and making sure that you encompass everyone that attends that institution. Because if some people aren't aware of the W, you know, I know it from my time at a community college and all of the... Um, connections and agreements that we've made to support students going to that next level. And so, you know, education is huge at the W. 
business is huge at the W. Nursing, which has been number one for years at the W. You know, there are so many great things that are going on there for students. And you all, and and I'm just going to say this, you all have been a great partner to work with because you all think outside the box. You're not, what policy do we have to follow? It's always, how can we best support the students so that they can be successful and go back out into the workforce and do the, the career that they have a passion for? So I just thank the W for all of that. But what people may not know as well is that you have another small institution that sits on your campus. So do you want to tell us about that? Because I, I feel that that's very unique in the state of Mississippi. Most people might not be aware that it's what it is and where it's housed. Mississippi School for Math and Science is housed on our campus. They are um, they fall under the State Department of Education. They report to the State Board of Education. We are their fiscal agent but we're very fortunate to have them on our campus. They uh, accept students from across the state of Mississippi. It's highly competitive to get in um, with ACT scores and interviews and and all of that, but the brightest of the brightest kids come here their junior and senior year. They live here on campus. They have their own residence halls. Um, We share a lot of facilities with them. are in the same cafeteria together. We share the same library. They're in our recreation center. Um, They uh, go to our health center when they get sick, Um, but they have their own academic buildings. Now, a number of their students are enrolled in classes here at the W also. Some of that is through a dual credit, dual enrollment, where their their high school teachers are credentialed um, to offer college credit in addition to the high school. And then some of them are sitting in our classrooms. Um, these students leave here and they go everywhere. Um, we've got a number of them that stay in the state, but we have uh, students go to Ivy League schools. The scholarship offers these kids get are just phenomenal. And it's it's a lot of fun watching them here on campus when they first come in and kind of feel their <laughs> way around and after the first weekend, we usually end up with a lot of blue and green hair, you know, <laughs> first weekend away from mom and dad. That's right. I, I can imagine. Well, yeah. I just I just love that you all have that opportunity or we have that opportunity in Mississippi. You know, we are both in Mississippi. You're my first guest that I've had from the state. So um, I just love that those opportunities are there, you know, close to where I am here. We also have the Mississippi School of the Arts, which is the statewide school for, you know, performing visual, all those different types of arts, which is amazing. So in order to make all of this happen, you know, with the team that you have, how important is it to have a strong network of people or have that community of individuals on your campus? Do you feel like you're a strong network where you are? we are. And I I couldn't be in this position if that weren't the case. Um, You had read my kind of my resume. I am not an academic. I do not have a terminal degree. I've never taught. so it's becoming a little bit more common now to have a non-traditional president, but um, it, it's still, you've got to have a really strong academic provost. You've got to have p- strong people in the other areas. I, I know the finances and that part of it. I kind of know the construction, the overseeing the facilities and all of that, but I don't know those other areas. So I rely on my team and just try to get the best people Um, with all of us with the same goal of moving the university forward and we work together and 
uh, very collaboratively. Um, so well, as I went into the presidency and I attended this new president's academy, uh, there were 27 of us who were just moving into presidency roles at state you know, public universities. And I, would, I think there were three of us who came up through a finance background and maybe two or three who were from the student affairs side. Most of them had gone the traditional route of department chair, dean, provost to the presidency. Right. Well, and, and it is... I mean, education is so unique now. Anybody could be in that position. I think that they really look for somebody that has, you know, the passion for the position and for the institution. I mean, that's really what it's about. What are the ideas that you have? What is the background that you have that can help move that institution forward? And so you said yourself, you were a student there. You had a love for Columbus. You had been out and gotten some other experience in different areas. Even as an auditor, you got to see what was great and what maybe was not so great at different institutions and then coming back. So in one of our conversations prior to the show, you talked about a unique term that I had not heard it said this way. But as a woman leader, you mentioned something about the invisible service labor. So can you expand on that a little bit before we go to break in about five minutes? Okay, sure. I think that's, I mean, there, there are men doing some of this, but it just, the gender lines, there are still so many things that people expect women to be nicer, you know, to uh, volunteer for more things, to to listen to people more, to to mentor, to be a shoulder to cry on. Um, you know, we're we're much more likely to say yes when asked directly to do anything, and we're typically more willing to volunteer for things. And just talking about some of the traditional division of labor. Um, not even the workforce, but at home, you know, men take out the trash twice a week. Mm -hmm. They might cut the grass once a week. You know, women are having to do get up, make the beds, do the dishes, fix the meal. You know, it's it's the, the constant, you know, and and it's like that at work too. Um, and it's unusual as I attend uh, meetings with other university presidents and. They'll have special, you know, sessions for presidential spouses. You know, my husband doesn't attend any of those with me. You know? <laughs> and and someone will talk about how, you know, the men will say, you know, oh, my wife takes care of doing all that. And I'll socialize. You know, well, no, you know, yep. I, I need a first lady. You know? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I That's need right. You know, I need somebody else to worry about making sure that the the front porch is swept before people come over and overseeing the flowers and doing the chit-chatting and, and all of that. And, uh, you know, my husband, expectations are pretty low for him. You know, as long as he's not a jerk, we're okay. That's right. Well, and it's it's so amazing that, you know, it's not even intentional. That's just kind of the feeling of of how things are just because that's the way it's always been. So even though you're in a leadership position, you're still expected to do all these other things that you've always done. And so I think that that's probably the biggest challenge is, you know, for me, I always felt almost guilty for not doing the things I had always done, whether it's going to my kid's game or whether it was taking care of something at the house or or what have you. But it's it's really... It's really figuring out your own journey as you move forward and finding balance. So 
that, that I loved that the invisible service labor. Now we've got a couple minutes before we we go to break, but one thing that I did want to ask you was about your continuing education. I mean, how important is that in your presidency, especially coming from the financial side into your presidency? We can start now and then continue after break. Okay. Well, I think it's important for all of us to continue learning. Whatever role, you know, if you're employed, not employed, whatever position you have, um, you need to be curious and you need to be learning and adapting to changes that are happening. I still maintain my CPA um, certificate, so I have to get 40 hours of continuing professional education that is accounting related. So I get I get a lot from there. I try to do as much of that through um, NACUBO, which is the National Association of College and University Business Officers, because it's much more important for me to get uh, continuing education that's related to university accounting rather than to personal taxes, something like that. Right, right. But then I also um, ask you, this uh, group of presidents' councils, getting together with other presidents, uh, learning from them, having national speakers, um, I'm getting ready to go to their annual conference in early November, and that energizes me. And I come back with all kinds of ideas and encouraged and just uh, listening to other people talk about the issues they're facing. And I always come back with, I'm sure glad for the issues that I have because I don't want what they're dealing with. <laughs> so that's important. But it's also important to build um, build your own networks and to have people outside of your field. Um, this International Women's Forum that I belong to, some fantastic women from all walks of life, all very successful. Um, we had a, a retreat recently where we talked about the importance of storytelling, um, the importance of building your tribe and knowing who you've got behind you. And uh, again, things like that just really do re-energize and refresh and empower me. Well, and I think that that is so important. You mentioned build your tribe. It's just have those people that are, you know, your support network. You know, we, we talk about some people don't really have a mentor per se, but these tribes are full of mentors that you probably talk to on a regular basis. And so we will continue this conversation when we come back in about two minutes with Nora Miller. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. Meet Dr. Stephanie Duguid, the renowned motivational speaker, leadership and success coach, author, and radio show host with an impressive 30 years of experience in education, spanning K-12 and higher education as a teacher, athletic trainer, and administrator. With her dynamic presence and inspiring messages, Dr. Stephanie captivates audiences from classrooms to conference halls. Learn how to focus on developing positive leadership skills and confidence to become the transformative and inspirational leader you always wanted to be from any position you hold. Reach out to Dr. Stephanie today. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. 
Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. The White House doctor makes house calls. Listen every week for House Calls with Dr. Connie Mariano. Dr. Connie has served as the White House physician under three U.S. presidents. Now she joins the Voice America Empowerment Channel to help you enrich yourself physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Our guests will include professionals from a variety of fields who will bring you tips that you can apply to your own life. Listen for House Calls with Dr. Connie every Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Welcome back to Empowering Women in Educational Leadership. Have a question for Dr. Stephanie or her guests? Join us on the show at 888-346-9141. That's 888-346-9141. Now back to the show. Welcome back. We are talking with Nora Miller, president of Mississippi University for Women, known as the W. And we were just talking about the importance of making sure that you have your own tribe, if you will. Nora is a non-traditional president coming from the financial aspect into the presidency. And so she was sharing how she loves having other presidents, even outside of Mississippi, that you can talk to. You know, so so share a little bit more about that building your own tribe? Well, it was really important during COVID. Mm -hmm. Uh, Of the 27 uh, presidents that were at the New Presidents Academy with me, there were about six of us who would have um, monthly Zooms where we would talk about what we were experiencing, how our campus was adapting, um, and just talking over all the issues. You know, well, we did a um, standing up for change, standing up for our students. Uh, we, d- we did a lot together. And it was really interesting hearing about how presidents in California were treating it, how those in Maryland were. And uh, so it's, it's important. And I've been able to reach out to those people sometimes and just say, you know, I'm dealing with an issue and what have you all done about this and, and hearing about that and just getting that, that support and that pat on the back and saying, I hear you, I'm with you, you know, we're all in this together. Well, sometimes, you know, we talk about having our own tribe and many times people think that that should be local folks, you know, at your institution. And although that would be great to have somebody right there, there can be a challenge if you have a unique situation or something that's never been experienced it's sometimes great to have that perspective from the outside. If they're within, they might either have background information or they might be biased against something or or what have you. So how important is it to have this tribe outside of the W or even outside of Mississippi? Well, it, it's very important because I've got, I've got some great friends here at the W. Um, you know, I've worked here for 22 years and, um, and these are the people that I go to lunch with. These are the ladies I'll go ahead and have a glass of wine with, you know, but but when it comes down to it, being a president can be kind of lonesome sometimes because there are some things that you're dealing with that you can't really share with with everyone. And, um, And 
I think people are comfortable enough with me that they feel pretty free to disagree with me, yeah. <laughs> which is which is good. It's okay. That, that's what I tell my cabinet and what I tell other people. If you think I'm about to do something stupid, I want you to stop me. You know, tell that's me. Right. Tell me if I'm if I'm wrong. You know, I I don't want to step off into something. If you can help keep me from doing that, I appreciate it. But it, it is kind of difficult. So it's it's good to have people who are not concerned about how it might mm-hmm. affect your relationship, how it might determine some change in their job or anything. You know, so it's so true. it's good to have other people to bounce things off of. Well, and of course, as education is changing, I'm sure that you get different perspectives from someone outside of the institution. And so with any current trends or developments, you know, we've talked briefly that AI is probably the new thing that everybody is talking about. What has been your experience with AI coming into education? We have uh, done a lot of studying about it. I know our faculty have um you know, are concerned about the use of AI and finding ways to teach around it. Um, And in some cases, it it can be used as a good starting place. Um, But you can't rely on that for writing your essays. And so people are doing more in-class writing assignments that uh, and trying to find ways that you can still have that amount of reflection that those longer longer writing assignments offered for students to really dig into something. And so there's that that push and that pull. You, there are so many resources available at our fingertips and how do we make the best use of those, but still have the critical thinking and that experience of, of research and development and our own writing. I got a survey the other day from um, SACS, Southern Association of Colleges, that's our accrediting body. And it was a survey all about AI. And while well, there's AI and there's also some information about micro-credentialing, but all the questions about AI, you know, you were to respond, my, my institution is doing this. My institution is researching this. And then there was one like, don't know. <laughs> I thought <laughs> I would have to say don't know to most of those. That's uh, right. AI is fascinating. But it's, uh, it, you know, kind of like when computers first came in, you, you can make mistakes a whole lot faster. <laughs> That's right. Well, and I think that AI, and, and those of you that aren't familiar with AI, it's artificial intelligence, you know, AI has come in very quickly. And what most people don't realize is that we've had AI around us. You know, there have been chatbots and there are some apps that use AI just on the background. But now that it's available and open to just about anyone, you know, the first thing a lot of educators want to do is push back and go, okay, what policy can we use to make sure that we keep students from using this? Well, you know, they're going to use this no matter what, and it's going to be infused into our world moving forward. So really education needs to embrace it and find ways that they can use it. And so it's not necessarily what policy can we have to say no to AI, it's how can we change as an institution or as an instructor, our instructional design, our, our ways that we think about traditional instruction so that we can embrace this because our students, I mean, they grew up in the digital age. It's going to be easy for them to pick it up and move. So we have to be right there with them. So it's going to be, it's going to be very interesting as we move forward. So 
you know, we talk about all these things that you've been doing at the W and the amount of communication that you're having to do to work with these folks. And now with AI and having another institution that is on your campus, how important is it to have effective communication skills, you know, and, and how do you go about it? Or, you know, is there a certain process that you go through when you're talking with folks or, you know, what's going through your mind with communication? The most important thing is listening. Um, listening and taking time, you know, that's another risk with today's constant interaction with texting and with emails. Um, you can't really convey tone as well in that. And so yes. um, just just being open and trying to, as you said earlier, trying to explain the why so that people mm -hmm. understand. They may not like something, but if they understand why it's being done, um, mm -hmm. what, what led to it, what the desired outcome is, they'll be much more likely to go along with you. That's right. And so how do you think that your communication has really supported your culture of empowerment and really working and trusting that that network of individuals you have on campus? I think that the constant communication, um, you know, during the, the COVID shutdown, um, I would do periodic um, video messages to campus and just talking about where we are and what's going on. Um, we try to do things, uh, you know, in higher ed, we have committees on committees. We have mm -hmm. all kinds of task forces and, and others. And that's where it's really important to share, to share the load, to share the decision making, to allow people to be a part of decisions and to weigh in and hear everyone else's viewpoints. And that then we come out of it. It's, it's a joint decision. It's you've got that support because. They were there through the through the whole process. So with this, we were talking a lot about on campus, but what about your relationship with the community? You know, how important is your surrounding community? Are the businesses, are the bases, are the councils oh, to to the W? Yeah, Columbus is, is very important. We are a population about 25,000. Uh, it's a great community. I have a really good relationship with, with the mayor. Um, and, and with others in, in the local government, um, I attend everything I can. You know, I'm at the Arts Council openings, um, at the Farmer's Market, um, uh, belong to our base community council. Columbus Air Force Base is very important to our community. And so want to support them, show that support. Um, just, just being out there and being open and talking with people. You want to have a, a joint um, promotion. We have our town and tower group, and that the purpose of that group is to promote effective relationships and promote the university, the city of Columbus, and the Air Force Base. And so we come together quarterly, uh, featuring um, the university, what's going on here one time, featuring the Air Force Base, featuring the community, and then we do an annual award ceremony for Citizen Award, Community Award. Well, and I, I love that you all are are working together and you're going in one direction. And so it's just it's just a, a testament to how building those relationships are the key to everything. Yes. 
So if you were to share some words of wisdom or encouragement with those that are listening today, what would you share with them? I think I'm going to repeat something that you said earlier, and that is when one door closes, another one opens and just be open to that and take those chances. Well, and and I love that statement only because so many times when that door closes, you think, oh my gosh, I'm not good enough. Uh, you know, I've just, I've lost everything or this isn't going to work for me, but it's what is the opportunity in that door closing? You know, take a minute and just what is that opportunity? And a lot of times you'll see the new path that was just created for you. So how can people find you if they're wanting to know more about you or about the W? Okay. Uh, MUW.edu. Uh, is our website. We are uh, recognized as being a best value. One of the kudos we're most proud of is our students graduate with the least amount of debt of any public regional university in the South. So oh my gosh. I yes. love that. I didn't know yes. that. Yes. So that, that is, is fantastic. That is what I'm most proud of. We are 11 years considered to be a great college to work for. Um, so come find out more about us at www.muw.edu. You can reach me at nrmiller at muw.edu. I love that. And if anybody is in the area, I encourage you to visit the W. It is a beautiful campus with lots of greenery and trees. You just you just feel like you are really in the South, but it is it is amazing. So thank you so much for being with us today, Nora. I thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. And so for those listening, I would love for you to join my Facebook community for women in education and reach out if you would like a free consultation. You can access all of my links at the voiceamerica.com homepage. And with a life of experience in education, I'd love to be a speaker at your next event or work directly with you through my Empowering Women in Educational Leadership and Mentorship Program. We are just about out of time for this week, but in the coming weeks, I have Dr. Janet Williams from William Carey University to talk about the healthcare workforce. And then I'll be traveling to Arizona to have my next show with three amazing women from Education Forward Arizona. So make sure that you tune in in the coming weeks at 10 a.m. Central Standard Time on Wednesdays on the Voice America Network Empowerment Channel. I'd love to leave you with my favorite quote by Eleanor Roosevelt. A good leader inspires people to have confidence in the leader. A great leader inspires people to have confidence in themselves. Thank you for joining us today. Tune in next week. See you soon. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Empowering Women in Educational Leadership. We hope you'll join us next week for another inspiring episode 